Good afternoon, everyone. One of the not notable traits of God's nature and character is patience. God wants to shape our nature into the likeness of his nature with our willing cooperation. And if we are to have godly character, one of the things that we must learn or develop is patience. In today's sermon, I want to discuss patience as an important factor in godly character. The Bible tells us that God is working out a plan which includes mankind. It tells us that human beings are destined to become members of the divine family as sons in his eternal kingdom. As we read in Revelation 21 and verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. The Bible tells us that God created the universe as a place to dwell in. In Isaiah 40, beginning with verse 21, Isaiah 40, verse 21, have you not known, have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. So God evidently created the universe as a place to dwell in. And of course, that's where we're dwelling here on the earth, which is part of the universe. One day in the future, we're told, not only will Jesus Christ be also dwelling on the earth with mankind, but God the Father will make his dwelling place on the earth as well. In Revelation 21 and verse 1, Revelation 21 and verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea, which is very likely referring to the Mediterranean Sea, which was often simply called the sea in ancient times in that part of the world. And what this means is not that the globe itself will disappear, but the earth's surface will be reshaped and the heavens as they appear from the earth will be reconfigured. And it goes on to say, I, John, saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then it goes on to say in verse 22 of Revelation 21, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. So 
ultimately God himself is going to be dwelling not only in the universe but on the earth and that will be the headquarters for God's government over the entire universe and the primary place central location for the dwelling place of the family of God the earth and the universe of, his, of which it is a part were created for the ultimate purpose of being a dwelling place for God and the family of God. Now, we don't know exactly how long ago God created the universe or brought it into being because the universe is dynamic and constantly changing. But several lines of evidence indicate that the universe had a definite beginning in time somewhere around 13 to 20 billion years ago as estimates of its age vary. No one actually knows the exact time in terms of a number of years ago that the universe was created, that is, no living person on the earth. But there are several lines of evidence which indicate that it did begin at a specific point in time. One line of evidence for a finite beginning of the universe is that the universe is expanding. And there are several, several ways that, that has been determined. But we read in Isaiah 40 and verse 22, Isaiah 40 and verse 22, we just read it a while ago, where it says, God stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Now these words stretches out and spreads them out imply an expanding universe as has been observed by astronomers. Now since the universe is expanding, it's logical to conclude that the expansion began from the very beginning whenever that was. Another line of evidence is the second law of thermodynamics, one of the fundamental laws of the physical universe. In simple terms, according to the second law of thermodynamics, the material universe and all that is a part of it is subject to decay. This is a quotation from an article entitled Second Law of Thermodynamics from a website called All About science.org and it says here quote the implications of the second law of thermodynamics are considerable the universe is constantly losing usable energy and never gaining we logically conclude the universe is not eternal the universe had a finite beginning like a wind-up clock the universe is winding down as if at one point it was fully wound up and has been winding down ever since. The question is, who wound up the clock? End quote. So the universe is like a clock that has been wound up, but it's slowly running down. The Bible compares the universe to a suit of clothes that one day, perhaps billions of years from now, will be worn out and will need to be changed for a new one. It says in Psalm 102, beginning with verse 25, Psalm 102, verse 25, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. 
They will perish. Notice the earth, the heavens will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. Yes, one of these days, the universe, like a, like a suit of clothes, will be worn out and will need to be exchanged for another one. The earth and every physical thing that exists on it is made out of fundamental constituents called elements. Elements themselves are composed of different combinations of smaller particles called protons, neutrons, and electrons. There are currently believed to be 98 elements that occur naturally in the universe, although some additional ones have been produced artificially in laboratories. These elements include lighter elements like hydrogen and helium, gases which are the lightest of the elements. Heavier elements include carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and elements that are heavier still include iron, copper, lead, and so forth. As I said, there are believed to be 98 elements that are in the universe naturally. In the early stages of the existence of the universe, the elements were all, almost exclusively hydrogen and helium, the lightest elements. Before heavier elements could form naturally, According to astrophysicists, stars had to come into existence. The earliest stars were almost exclusively hydrogen and helium, it's believed. Even the sun, which is a relatively young star, is said to be more than 99% composed of hydrogen and helium. Elements heavier than hydrogen and helium are produced in stars. Biological life on Earth is composed of a variety of elements, including hydrogen and heavier ones such as carbon, oxygen, iron, and so forth. Without those elements, life cannot exist, life as we know it, physical, biological life. Astrophysicist Hugh Ross comments in his book, The Creator and the Cosmos, Quote, for many decades, astronomers and others have wondered why, given God exists, he would wait so many billions of years to make life, that is, biological life, such as exists on Earth. Why did he not do it right away? The answer is that given the laws and constraints of physics God chose to create, it takes about 12 billion years just to fuse enough heavy elements in the nuclear furnaces of several generations of giant stars to make life chemistry possible. Life could not happen any earlier in the universe than it did on Earth. So this is the conclusion of an astrophysicist to study the stars and the physics of the universe. Now, the fact is, of course, God could have created any and all elements instantly had he chosen to do so. 
But based on the evidence that we have, it appears that God instead chose to wait for the natural laws and processes that he originated to work to create heavier elements as the universe expanded, out of which he formed the earth at some point. What has been learned about the universe from scientific research indicates that the universe is billions of years old and nothing in the Bible contradicts that. In fact, the Bible tends to support that understanding. The Bible reveals that God began with a plan in mind, however, that involves not only living creatures, but specific living creatures called human beings. And already from all appearances, billions of years have passed since time as we know it began as God works out that plan in this universe. Now, this gives us an idea of God's patience. It gives us an idea of how patience is a fundamental aspect of God's character and nature. Even if you put it in terms of the duration of the existence of mankind, about 6,000 years now from the creation of Adam and Eve as indicated by biblical chronology we witness the patience of God in perfecting his purpose for mankind he has allowed all these thousands of years to pass many generations have come and gone during that time and all during mankind's history most human beings have remained cut off from God through rebellion and ignorance, going their own way as God has allowed. God has allowed human beings to make their own rules, to live apart from his will, to write their own history in blood and sorrow. Yet from the beginning, God has planned in due time to intervene in the affairs of mankind to accomplish his purpose his purpose for the creation of the universe, his purpose for the creation of mankind. We read in Acts 3 and verse 19. Acts 3 beginning with verse 19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began, the world being the present world system, including the existence of human beings. From the earliest time that human beings existed, the earliest years that human beings existed on the earth, God has testified to them of what he had in mind. And God has been and is patiently waiting as his plan unfolds in a step-by-step -step fashion that encompasses vast stretches of time. We might ask, what is patience? There are several definitions that explore various aspects of what patience is. 
From the Longman Dictionary of Contemporary English, we have one definition, which is as follows, the ability to continue waiting or doing something for a long time without becoming angry or anxious. That's one definition of patience. Another definition from the same source is the ability to accept trouble and other people's annoying behavior without complaining or becoming angry. So we see two distinct but related definitions of patience here. From the Webster 1913 Dictionary, we find these definitions. First of all, the state or quality of being patient, the power of suffering with fortitude, uncomplaining endurance of evils or wrongs as toil, pain, poverty, insult, oppression, calamity, and so forth. And another definition from Webster's Dictionary, 1913 edition, the act of or power of calmly or contentedly waiting for something due or hoped for, forbearance. So these are some definitions of patience. Patience implies the quietness or self-possession of one's own spirit under sufferings, provocations, and so forth. Patience is akin to long-suffering, endurance, perseverance. It implies being slow to anger and willing to forbear and forgive. The Bible tells us explicitly that God is long-suffering and patient. We are reminded in the book of Nehemiah of God's patience with Israel in the wilderness and afterward, despite many provocations, Speaking of those Israelites in the wilderness, Nehemiah 9 and verse 17 says, They refused to obey. They were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness and did not forsake them. Israel's rebellion continued for decades, then for hundreds of years, and yet God's patience remained. Going on in Nehemiah 9 and verse 30, we see, yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the lands. Now, this was after hundreds of years of being patient with Israel and witnessing to them. God gave them over to their enemies and allowed the people of Israel to be taken into captivity as punishment for their persistent rebellion. But God, even then, God did not and has not utterly forsaken Israel. Going on in verse 31 of Nehemiah 9, it says, Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. And God continues to deal patiently and mercifully, not only with the peoples of Israel, but with mankind. In Psalm 103, beginning with verse 8, it says, Psalm 103 and verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in mercy, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, set an example of patient endurance in the face of evil, injustice, and suffering. We read in 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, verse 19, For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Because patience is, a, is an important aspect of God's character and nature, God wants us to develop that same quality of character as we seek to imitate him and grow into his likeness spiritually. Patience is one of the fruits of God's spirit. We're told in Galatians 5, verse 22, Galatians 5, verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such there is no law. Now this is from the New King James Version. The Greek word translated there, long-suffering, in this list of the fruits of the spirit is macrothumia, and it could also be translated patience. And in fact, it is so translated in several English translations, including the English Standard Version, the Lexham Translation, the New English Translation, Weymouth, and so forth. For example, the New English Translation renders verse 22 as follows, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. In the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus highlighted the importance of patience in the life of a Christian. We read in Luke 8, beginning with verse 4, Luke 8 and verse 4, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said, said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see, 
and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among Thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. They keep it and bear fruit with patience to bear the fruits of Conversion of living by God's word requires patience. Let's focus now one at a time on three specific areas of our lives in which we are instructed to develop and exercise patience. First, we'll discuss patience in dealing with other people. If we are to please God, we must be patient with one another and with other people in general. Notice in Luke, or excuse me, in Matthew 18, Matthew 18, beginning with verse 21, Peter came to him, that is to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So then, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also... Have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The lesson here is that we, if we expect God to exercise patience and compassion, 
in dealing with us, we ought to do the same in our relationships with other people. You might ask yourself, do you consider yourself spiritually strong or weak or somewhere in between? Perhaps none of us is as strong as he would like to be, but to the extent that any of us is stronger than others, we are required to support and assist the weaker brethren with patience. The strong are required to support and assist the weaker with patience. In Romans 5 verse 1, Romans 5 verse 1, the, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Lest, let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. Now, lest we misunderstand here, notice it does not say that we are to please our neighbors in just giving in to their every desire, whim, or demand. It says we are to please them in those ways that will be to their benefit and that will lead to their edification. It's like a spoiled child. You don't just give him everything he demands. That would ruin him. But we are to bear with everyone, including the weak, and to do those things that are beneficial to them, not just be thinking of ourselves. Paul went on to write, beginning with verse 3 of Romans 15, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exercising patience with one another helps draw us together and helps us to be of one mind with one another and with God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, we read, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, see that no one renders evil to, for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. These words imply that we bear patiently with one another and seek to encourage and help one another within the parameters of the scriptures. Part of exercising patience is that we must strive to avoid outbursts of wrath and put away anger. Outbursts of wrath is listed as one of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5 verse 20. And that means we're to, we must keep our temper in check and strive to maintain self-control at all times. And we must put away anger. Now, sometimes we have to just put up with difficult or even downright wicked people and leave their judgment in God's hands. As we read in Psalm 37, beginning with verse 1, Psalm 37 and verse 1, Do not fret because of evildoers, 
nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off and those who wait on the Lord. Notice it says those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth for yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 8, it says, Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 8, the end of the thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. We need to keep in mind that God is the judge of us all, and he will ultimately render to each one according to his works. As we read in Romans 2, beginning with verse 6, Romans 2 and verse 6, who will render, speaking of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life, to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The second area of our lives in which we need to develop patience is to learn to have patience in enduring trials. We must learn to suffer injustice and trials patiently while maintaining faith and hope in God. And this can be extremely difficult. We've already discussed how Jesus Christ suffered persecution and even crucifixion patiently, although he had done no wrong. Many of the faithful in the Old Testament period, as well as the faithful throughout the history of the New Testament church, have suffered various trials and persecution. We're admonished in Romans 12, beginning with verse 12, to be patient in tribulation. And we're told in verse 14, we are to even bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Among those who suffered persecution during the New Testament era were the Christians at Thessalonica. Paul wrote to them in, in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 4, we read, part of what he wrote where he said we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure 
One of the reasons God allows us to endure trials is to develop godly patience. Now, we may not see how this can be of any benefit now, but I have a strong suspicion that this patience will be very rewarding in the future for those in God's kingdom. James wrote in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2, James 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, it may be next to impossible to have much joy in a severe trial, but we can at least have joy to the extent that we understand that trials do help us build character and especially after the trial is over, having endured it patiently. The third area in which we ought to be developing patience is learning to be patient and waiting on God to fulfill his promises and complete his plan for mankind. We're told many places in scripture that we must wait on God until he chooses to intervene in our personal affairs and in the affairs of the world at large. And th that means above all, we must wait on his kingdom. Inheriting the rewards of God's kingdom requires patience. The book of Lamentations was written in response to the destruction of Jerusalem. It was a time of national calamity when extreme sorrow and affliction prevailed. Yet in the depths of suffering and despair, Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations chapter 3, beginning with verse 24, Lamentations 3 and verse 24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God promises salvation for those who faithfully seek him. But salvation rarely comes immediately. We must wait on it. Psalm 27 and verse 13 says, Psalm 27 verse 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Ultimately, only God can deliver us from our trials. Only God can deliver the world from the catastrophe towards which it is headed. But we must wait patiently. Psalm 62, beginning with verse 1, it says, Psalm 62 and verse 1, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Jesus said in the context of tribulation and persecution, in Luke 21, 
in verse 19 where he's talking about the end time and the all of the catastrophes and events which will occur near the time of his second coming he said Luke 21 and verse 19 by your patience possess your souls by your patience possess your souls and when you read and meditate and think about the things that are described in Luke 21 Matthew 24 Mark 13 and other places in the Bible about the end time events it ought to become clear that it's not necessarily going to be easy to maintain one's faith and be patient with all those things that are happening. Down through the ages, many have sought to hasten the coming of God's kingdom. Many have made predictions concerning the timing, timing of the coming of Jesus Christ, and many have been wrong. We're not given a specific date for the second coming of Christ. In fact, we're told that we won't know. We cannot know in advance the precise time of his coming. We are given something else, though. We, what we are given is the admonition to be patient, no matter how long it may take. How long will we have to be patient? We will have to be patient, as James said, James 5, verse 7. James 5, verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. He went on to say, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So let's strive with God's help to be patient in dealing with other people, patient in enduring trials, and patient in waiting on God's salvation.